0: We started a series called Here's Our King. It was our Advent series that we started Sunday, December 1st. And the question that I really wanted to wrestle with in the month of December was simply this. Uh, Is the Christmas story, is it just an isolated story? Uh, Is it a story that we bring out once a year uh, around December? And is it a story we consider and reflect upon to inspire us, to encourage us, to challenge us? Uh, Because it's a great story. Or is the Christmas story actually not a a once-a-year type of story? Is it a story that's actually part of a much bigger story that's being told? And so for the past three Sundays, uh, we've looked at how does this story, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, how does it actually fit into the big picture? How does it actually fit into a much grander story that is being told? And so far, three things that we've looked at is the Christmas story, the coming of Jesus, reminds us that Jesus actually came to undo what was done in the garden. Uh, Specifically, what was done in the garden was just deception and destruction and death. And Jesus came uh, to put an end to the deception, to put an end to the deceiver, and put an end to destruction. Uh, So that was one of the things that we looked at. Two weeks ago, we looked at... uh, that Jesus, uh, the the story of Christmas reminds us that Jesus is our rescue and redeemer. In a world that is just filled with lots of hopelessness and brokenness and despair, uh, when we consider what Jesus, who Jesus is as redeemer and rescuer, similar how to God sent Moses to the people of Egypt to lead them out of slavery and bondage, the Christmas story reminds us that there's a better redeemer, a better rescuer, as it were, and his name is Jesus. And he's, was sent to redeem and rescue us from a life of despair, a life of hopelessness, um, and a life of just ultimately being separated from God because of sin. Uh, And then last week, we looked at uh, something called the atonement. Uh, The way that people connected with God pre-Christmas was through the sacrificial system. But God had promised that there would be a better way. And the better way was through His own Son, Jesus, coming. And so when we consider Jesus at Christmas time, it reminds us, Uh, that he is the perfect atonement, the perfect sacrifice, that he saved, rescued us from a life of trying to sacrifice our way to God, work our way to God, perform our way to God, that through faith in Christ, uh, Jesus brings us to to God. And this morning, uh, you know, you've seen the sign over the past few weeks called, Here is our King. And uh, the message that I'm looking at this morning is the idea of Jesus as King. And I think for most of us, myself included, I don't really have a concept for king. I don't have a concept for monarchy. Uh, the last king that ruled uh, in, uh, that we would be familiar with, would be King George Third, And uh, we didn't like that king, and so we revolted against that king and started our own thing. Uh, we are a people that did not have uh, a monarchy as it were. Uh, So we're not really familiar with the idea of someone being a king ruling and reigning over us. And I think even when we think about kings or queens, you might think of someone like Queen Elizabeth. And it would seem that she is all pageantry, but she doesn't really have any influence or power. I'm not saying she doesn't have any, but she's not someone that, when you think of, that is ruling and reigning in England right now. Uh, Now, there are other parts of the world, if you were... Saudi Arabia, Thailand, uh, they have a monarchy there. And if you were to say anything ill towards the king there, it would not go well for you. So there are parts of the world that still have a monarchy and is ruled and reigned by a king. But at least in our culture, in our context, we don't have an understanding, so to speak, of a king. In the Bible, though, uh, in the Old Testament specifically, Uh, they got what a king was. If you were king, you ruled, you reigned. Whatever you wanted, you did. Why? Because you were the king. And no one could uh, usurp your authority as it were. And this morning, I wanted to look at specifically, Israel uh, did not always have a king. They did not always have a king because God served as their king. And God was a faithful, righteous, loving, gracious, kind, caring, compassionate king. But there was a point in time in the nation of Israel's story where they said to God, we don't want you to be our king anymore. We want to have a tangible expression like all of our neighbors around us of a king. And I'm going to read a story this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and flip open to 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel 8. But Samuel is known as a prophet of God. He was one of Israel's, or Israel's last judge. And the nation of Israel knows that Samuel's getting old. And so they come to Samuel and tell Samuel, uh, hey, your two sons are pretty wicked. Uh, they're pretty evil, and we don't want them to be judges over us. And so what we've decided is we want to have a king. And they had never had a king before. God had sent prophets, God had used judges, but they had never had a king. And this is uh, how their request happened in First Samuel chapter 8. Start at verse 4. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ram to discuss the matters with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And Samuel was displeased with the request and he went to the Lord for guidance. And then uh, in verse seven, do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me that they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. And then verse eight, ever since I brought them from Egypt, uh, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign um, over them. So the message was, we want a king. We've looked at the other nations, and uh, we don't want God to be our king. We want a king like everyone else has to rule and reign over us. And I'm going to read the back half of the story here, but I love what God has done. He says, Solomon, I will grant them what they're asking for, but I want you to warn them. And I want you to solemnly warn them of what they are asking for. Uh, And this is what Solomon does as the story goes on. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and some will be captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves when that day comes. You will beg for relief from the king you are demanding, uh, but then the Lord will not help you. All right, so if you heard that, do you think you would stop and say, all right, well, let's reconsider. Maybe this whole concept and idea of a king would not be such a good thing. Clearly, in biblical history and just history, there's been some good examples of good kings. But sadly, history tells a story of kings... um, Who were ruled and reigned out of their jealousy, out of their bitterness, out of their pride, out of their greed, out of their ego. And so God has uh, Samuel warn them, tell them this is what a king will be like. If you heard that, don't you think you'd be like, "All right, well actually God has been a very faithful king. He's rescued, he's redeemed, he's loved, he's forgiven, he's been gracious. But this is how the people responded. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king. In spite of everything you just said, even so, we still want a king. We want to be like nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. And thus begins the story in uh, Israel's history of a long line of kings. And as I mentioned, there were certainly some good kings, uh, but Israel's history is more marked by kings that were godless, that were evil, that were wicked, that led people away from God, not actually closer to God. And one of the amazing things that God, as king, did for the nation of Israel, time and time again, he promised them, you're living with imperfect kings, sinful kings, but I promise that I will send a perfect king. This is one example, again, there's many examples in the Old Testament. I'm just picking one that you might be familiar with in Isaiah chapter 9. It says this, "...for a child is born to us, a son given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestors, David, for all eternity." Again, throughout the Old Testament, Scripture reminded the people of God that I will send a perfect king, a king who will reign and rule in love and righteousness and justice. And when we turn the page into the New Testament, we see the promise fulfilled in the coming of Christ. So when we consider the Christmas story and how the story fits into the the grand story that's being told, we're reminded that Jesus is the promised king. This is what uh, the angels told Mary about Jesus um, in Luke chapter 1. It says, You will conceive, and Mary meaning the mother of Jesus, conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Who's Jesus? He's the promised king. He's the fulfillment of the promise that God gave that I will send a perfect king to rule and reign in righteousness forever. Uh, The uh, angels appeared to some shepherds in the field the night that Jesus was born, and this is what they said. Uh, The angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah. Messiah just means the anointed one. The Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord, meaning the king, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, what shocked everyone when Jesus came is he wasn't the kind of king that they were expecting. He wasn't the kind of king that they were anticipating. The type of king that the people were hoping for was a king that would come and conquer, namely conquer Roman occupation. But Jesus did not come to conquer Roman occupation. He didn't come to like this incredible fanfare. His coming, his arrival, his birth went largely unnoticed. But when you consider the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative, be reminded and encouraged that the birth of Christ is actually a fulfillment of God's promise that a perfect king would come and the king has come in the person of Jesus. Now, this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time... Really answering two questions. And the two questions I wanted to ask is if Jesus is king, then what kind of king is he? What kind of king is Jesus? And is he a king that I can actually trust? If Jesus is king, what kind of king is he? And can I actually trust him? And so I want to walk through this is the kind of king scripture says Jesus is. And then I want to share with you some personal reasons of why I trust Jesus as my king. And I'm going to encourage you and invite you to think about if you know Jesus as king, why do you trust him? I'll share with you my list, but I want to encourage you to be thinking now, why do you trust Jesus as king? The second question I'm going to ask is simply this. If Jesus is king, then how do I live a life that would actually please my king? How do I live a life that would be honoring, uh, that would be pleasing to Jesus as king and his kingdom? Uh, So those are the two questions I want to, to answer uh, and before I answer those questions, uh, I just wanted to share with you really quickly this, this truth, this reality, and it's just simply, I'd encourage you to write it down. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Whether you agree with that, recognize that, affirm that or not, it doesn't change the fact or the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus does not need me to agree with that he is king for him to be king. So whether I recognize and agree with that, that truth, that reality, it does not change the fact of who Jesus is. Jesus alone is king. In his uh, a great book called Follow Me, David Platt wrote this. He said, Jesus is not customizable. He has not let himself open to interpretation, adaptation, innovation, or alteration. He is not merely a personal Lord and Savior who is worthy of our individual approval. Jesus is the cosmic Lord cosmic king and savior who is worthy of everyone's eternal praise. And I like how he said, Jesus is not customizable. Well, he's king for some, but not king for others. No, Jesus is king. Regardless of we agree or disagree, the truth and the reality of who Jesus is, is he is king. And Philippians says it incredibly clear like this. Paul says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, And gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King, to the glory of God the Father. What this scripture here says is every knee is going to bow, every tongue will confess. It's just a question if your knee is bowed and your tongue is confessing now. But everyone in human history will bow, bend the knee to Jesus as king and will confess Jesus as king. It's just a question of are you doing that now? So Jesus is king. I want you to know that. Um, what, kind of uh, so what, what kind of king is Jesus? So I'm going to answer the first question here. What kind of king is Jesus? This is not an exhaustible list of how the Bible... Uh, teaches us of Jesus as king, Um, but here are a few. Uh, I'd give you three. Uh, Jesus as king, he is in control of all things. He is in control of all things. Jesus as king, there is nothing that he is not in control or charge of. So the first thing I learn about uh, Jesus as king is he's in control. Uh, Matthew 28, Jesus says this himself. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He's got all authority. Why? Well, because he's king. I like how um, uh, this is a German philosopher, theologian, Andrew Kuyper, said this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ does not cry mine. There's not one person, there's not one thing uh, where Jesus could not, as king, claim, that's mine. That's mine. So one of the things I learned about Jesus as king is simply... He is in control of all things. Second thing I learned about Jesus as king, he alone can bring us into his kingdom. There's only one way to to know the king and be in the king's kingdom, and that's through Jesus. I like how Colossians, Paul says it like this, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So Jesus as king, he rescued us from a kingdom of darkness and kingdom of darkness means hell it just means eternity apart from god what jesus has done as king is he's rescued us and he's not only rescued us and just dropped us somewhere he's brought us into his kingdom and then the third thing i learn about jesus as king is he's unchanging he is constant he is consistent i like how hebrew says it jesus christ same yesterday today and forever There's nothing changing about Jesus, consistent and constant. I like how Sam Storm said it. He said this, there are no term limits on his reign. He has always been king and he always will be king. There is no death that threatens the endlessness of his sovereign uh, authority. There is no usurping of power by a lesser rival to his throne. There are no coups, no revolutions, at least none that succeed. There is no threat of impeachment. He is king who rules eternally. There's nothing that you or I could ever do to change the reality and the fact of who Jesus is. He is king. So those are just a few things uh, that I wanted to share. This is what scripture says about Jesus as king. I want to ask the question now, but can I trust him? If you're not encouraged by that list, um, well, I I hope you are. But I want to ask the question of, it's one thing to be encouraged by hearing something, but can I actually trust? Could I put my trust, my life, my heart, my soul, my passions, my dreams, could I put it all on Jesus as my king? Lucy, um, a little girl in, the, uh, in C.S. Lewis' uh, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, Aslan, who plays the, uh, the Christ figure, the king, uh, is on the move. And Lucy asks the beaver, and beavers talk in these books so you just that's how it goes uh, Ask the beaver um, what's he like you know and this is what uh, the beaver in response is he safe that's what Lucy's question was safe said Mr. Beaver who said anything about safe of course he isn't safe but he's good he's the king so can I trust Jesus as king is he is he safe? And I would answer that he's not safe, but he's good. Why? Because he's king. So I'm going to share with you four very personal reasons to me of why I trust Jesus as my king. And I'd encourage you to write these down, not just as my list for you, uh, but let it be a start to why do you trust? Because if you don't have a good answer to why you trust Jesus as king, when it comes time and it gets hard and it gets difficult, You'll begin to waver if you're not convinced of why you trust Jesus as king. And I just made it as simple as I could with four words. The first word is simply this. Why I trust him is presence. Jesus has offered his presence to me. He is a king that rather than staying afar and at a distance uh, in light of my rebellion, my pride, my sin, he didn't look at me and say, wow, Michael, you are so far gone. I can't get near you. This King, Jesus' King, offered His presence. And I love how in John 1 it summarizes it says, So the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He made his home amongst us. God came near. He didn't just stand back at a distance, he came close. So why can I trust Jesus as king? Because he came near. He offered me his presence. And it wasn't a one-time deal. This is what Jesus encourages me, the disciples, and any other would-be followers with at the end of Matthew 28. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's nowhere I could go where he would not be. There's no situation that I could ever be in where he would not be there with me. So why do I trust Jesus as king? It's because he's present. And he's not just present on Sunday morning when I'm singing songs to him. He's present when I'm in the midst of my week struggling with hurt or pain or doubt or disappointment or frustration. He's present. Always. I'd say the second reason of why I trust Jesus as king is because of peace. He's not only offered me his presence, but he's offered me peace. Um, I don't think I would have to work hard at all to convince anyone that the world that we live in, uh, there's something off. There's hurt, there's disappointment, there's anger, there's division, uh, there's brokenness, there's brutality, there's evil, there's wickedness. Like, I wouldn't have to work hard. I, all of you would be like, yes, I live in the same world you do. But why I trust Jesus as king is because my king offers me peace Despite the world that I live in, despite pain, despite hurt, despite brokenness, Jesus says, but I give you my peace. And he says this in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. And I love the honesty of Jesus. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So my King, Jesus has overcome all things. And so no matter what happens to me or doesn't happen to me, no matter what pain, brokenness, whatever it is, not only do I have the presence of Christ, but I have the peace of Christ. I love how Paul says it in Philippians when he says, don't worry about anything. (laughs) Like that's a, a, a verse to live by. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Instead of doing this, do this. Instead of being filled with worry and anxiety and fear, just talk to God. Tell God what is it that you need. Tell God what it is you're anxious and worried and fretful over. And as you give thanks to God and give that to God, what does God give you in return? His peace. Well, and you might, well, Michael, that doesn't last long because I start worrying about things. Well, keep giving it to God and keep receiving from God his peace. I think a challenging command that Jesus says is don't worry about anything. Why did he tell us not to worry about anything? Well, in summary, Jesus said, don't, because I care about you. Don't you realize that you are so much more valuable to me than these things? And so Jesus as king, he just, he fills me with peace. The world will try to take it. My day will try to take it. Conversations will try to take it. But Jesus as king, he fills me with peace. The third thing of why I trust Jesus as king would be this purpose. My king has given me something to do. My king has given me something worth giving myself to all of the time. I spent the better part of 41 now, and I've spent the better part of my life making my life about me. And it was just... It was just dumb. It was just such a waste. But when I got in relationship with Jesus as king... He gave me a purpose. He gave me something worth giving myself to that was so much bigger and better than just me. I spent too much time wasting trying to make a name for myself, trying to get people's approval, trying to get people to love me and like me and care about me and get the applause of people. But Jesus as king He gave me a purpose. Paul sums up his purpose and my purpose as well very well in Acts 20. He said, but my life is worth nothing. This is the Apostle Paul. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, by King Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I love the honesty there of Paul. Like my, my life is nothing except just doing what Jesus, my King, told me to do. And what Jesus, my king, told me to do was go tell everyone about the wonderful grace of God. If God gives me another 40 years, by his grace, he's given me a purpose worth giving myself to. And I will tell as many people as I possibly can, whether from here, in my neighborhood, in my own community, wherever it is about the wonderful grace of God. He's given me something worth giving myself to. He's given me purpose. Um... Fourthly, I've covered presence, peace, purpose. Uh, fourthly, I would say this, hope. Why do I trust Jesus as king? Uh, he's given me his presence. He's given me his peace. He's given me purpose. And fourthly, he's given me hope. At some point in your life, if you haven't already, you will be confronted with the question of, well, what's next? Like, what happens after this life? Sometimes it's the death or near death of a friend that gets us to think about the what's next question. Some of you might be in that season right now of wondering, well, what is next? And Jesus, as my king, he fills me with hope that I don't have to wonder about what's next and and not have any hope as it relates to what is after this life. Steve Jobs, uh, founder of Apple and credible leader, innovator, uh, just revolutionized so many different things of how we talk and how we communicate and how we listen to music and all of these things. He died about two years ago, Um, and in an interview that he conducted or was conducted with him uh, with CBS towards the end of his life, um, this is what he had to say about life after death. I like to think that something survives after you die, I really want you to listen to A man who was on the verge of dying he was diagnosed with cancer battled cancer for years and then cancer got the best of him i'd like to think that something survives after you die it's strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and maybe a little wisdom and it just goes away so i really want to believe that something survives that maybe your consciousness endures and then he goes on in the interview and says but on the other hand Perhaps it's like an on off switch, click, and you're gone. Maybe that's why I never liked putting, uh, like to put an on off switch on Apple devices. And, you know, it's, when you read that, it's kind of funny. You're like, oh, wow, I I didn't notice that, but there are no on off switches on Apple devices. But I wanted you to hear his hopelessness. When I read that, I was like, man, guy's dying right now body plagued with cancer and he's got no hope I'd like to think that something will last and what encourages me and why I put my trust in Jesus as king is because he's given me hope if this is my last day I have hope that I'll be with my king in his kingdom not because I've done something but because he's come for me and made it way for me to have a relationship with a king forever in his kingdom and I love the way that Jesus' king even describes his kingdom. Uh, on his death, on the cross, there's a thief that looks over to Jesus. And he's already said to the other thief, I'm here rightly. I should be here. My deeds deserve me being here. And the thief looks at Jesus and he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today, you will be with me in paradise. And it would be easy to catch in that verse, like, wow, the kingdom is described at paradise. Paradise is so much better than the world we live in. But what I want you to catch is, no, you'll be with me. And because you're with me, paradise. The hope that I have after this life is that I will be with Jesus. And it doesn't matter where that is, as long as I'm with him, it's paradise. I love how uh, John, Apostle John in Revelation, catches a glimpse of the kingdom. And he says this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Again, what's the beauty of the kingdom? Is God with us? Jesus, our king, dwelling amongst us for eternity. And because of his presence in his kingdom, there's no pain, there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no death, there's no more tears, there's no more crying. And for a guy who cries a lot, like that's exciting to me. So I have hope. So again, that's not an exhaustive list from me, but those are the four things that came rather quickly. Michael, why do you have, why do you trust that Jesus is king as your king? Well, his presence, his peace, his purpose, and he's given me hope. What would you say? If someone were to ask you, hey, you're a Christian, Jesus is your king, why is he your king? Why do you trust him as your king? What would you say? And I want to push it on the other end as well. If you're here today and you're like, Jesus is not my king. He may be king, but he's not my king. What would be your reason for saying he's not your king? What has led you to the conclusion or has caused you to get to the place where you say he may be king, but he's not my king? What's led you to distrust? And my heart for you would simply be this. You you can't trust that which you do not know. Well, Let me just say it's very difficult to trust that which you do not know. I trust Jesus as King more today standing here than I did 25 years ago. And over the past 25 years, my experience, my relationship, my knowledge of who Jesus is as King has just grown. But when I began my journey with Jesus years and years ago, I didn't know everything, and I didn't let what I didn't know stop me or prevent me From beginning a relationship with Jesus as King. So if you're trusting because of things you don't know, and I don't know about this, and I don't know how this is going to pan out, it's very difficult to trust that which you do not know. And my encouragement would be begin the journey. Begin the journey of putting your faith, your trust in Jesus as King, and watch what Jesus will do. I can promise you this with absolute assurity you will not be disappointed. I stand here, I've never once been disappointed. I've been disappointed in myself. I've been disappointed in my response, in my reactions, in my attitudes, in my behaviors. But I have never been disappointed by Jesus as king. Why? Because he's good. Why? He's faithful, he's righteous, he's just. Now, if Jesus is king and we can trust him as king, then how do I live my life in a way that would just please him? That the king would look at me, a son or daughter, and say, I am well pleased with how you are living. And I just give you two very quick answers. And again, these are not exhaustive, but hopefully they'll be helpful. Of if Jesus is king, then how do I live a life that would be pleasing to the king? Uh, Number one would be this, uh, fight the king's battles fight the king's battles. C.S. Lewis uh, said it well, as he always does. Enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign in in sabotage. I want to be very careful to explain what I mean by uh, fighting the king's battles. I'm not talking about like a thousand years ago when uh, communities of people picked up the sword and killed others in the name of Christ. I'm not suggesting that. But what I loved about uh, what, how Lewis put it in his book Mere Christianity is calling, all, calling us all to take part in a great campaign in sabotage. Meaning the world we live in is broken. And our king cares about the world that is broken. Our king cares about people who don't know him. Our king cares about people who live in despair, have no hope. And what it looks like for you and I to fight the king's battles is to fight for what he, his heart breaks for. Fight for what he values. Fight for what he cares about. Now, what's interesting to me is we love watching movies about adventure. I mean, Lord of the Rings, right? Right? Everyone's like, man, that is a good king. Aragon, I think his name is. And people are like, I will go to battle with him. I will fight with him. I will fight alongside. Oh, I'll fight for him. We love watching movies that inspire us about adventure. But when it actually comes time to live life as an adventure, oh, hang on, I just like watching it. I just like observing it. I don't want to actually live a life of adventure I'll read about adventure, I'll be entertained by adventure, but I don't want to actually get in the adventure. If Jesus is king, and he is, and he's your king, then it looks like for me and you that we fight the king's battles with him. Uh, Mark Batterson uh, just published a new book, he's a pastor in D.C. area, called All In, and he said this, when did we start believing that God wants to send us safe places to do easy things. That faithfulness is holding the fort. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. That was his way of saying, get in the game, get in the adventure. Life is not just about protecting what I think is mine, what I think is ours, life with Jesus as king is fighting the battles that Jesus would want us to fight, caring about what he wants us to care about. Okay, now, if you have someone in a position of authority over you, and I'm talking about like someone you respect, someone that you, your boss maybe, and hopefully you respect your boss, uh, whether he or she asks you to do a certain task, I think most of us I think the appropriate response would be wow, this person in authority over me has asked me to do said task, said project. It would be an honor that I can't even believe that they would ask me to do this. The president, the owner, the CEO of the company says, I want you to do this. I'm going to put you in charge of this. I think most of us would say, that would be an honor for me to do that. David Livingston, who was a missionary, gave his life uh, in the name of Christ said this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? And I really wrestle with that, of how often we think what God wants me to do is a sacrifice. But yet when an earthly authority, whoever that person he or she is, asks us to do something, it's considered an honor. And I want you to know there is There is no sacrifice. When God invites us to do something, to care for someone, to give to someone, to love them, to serve them, to bless them, to pray for them, to fight for them, to seek justice, to seek what is right in a world that's just wrong, that is not sacrifice. That's honor. That's privilege. If your king has asked you to do that, there's no sacrifice involved. It's honor and privilege. There's another group of men who were known as uh, the one-way missionaries, and they uh, traveled to a very remote place in the South Pacific about 150 years ago. And they went to a place that was, uh, the reputation was missionaries who had gone before, uh, this was a head-hunting island, uh, Headhunters, cannibalism ruled and reigned there. Uh, But these four men said, uh, we're going to go. And if it means giving our life in the name of wanting these men and women to know about Jesus and the wonderful grace of God... And that's what God's called us to do, then we'll go. And so they went, and three of them lost their lives. But there was one uh, who found favor in the eyes of the tribes that were there and lived his life there in the tribes for 30 years. And on his um, tombstone, his grave, uh, that the tribe had put up for him when he died, uh, it said this. This is A.W. Milne. When he came there, uh, when he came, there was no light. When he left... There was no darkness. And I just love that. Because the king had called them to go and do something that they consider great privilege and great honor. And at the end, when we're about doing what the king wants us to do, it will have an impact, an eternal, kingdomly impact. Before he was here, darkness reigned. Darkness rule. But now that he's gone, there's light. I don't know what you want said about you, what you want said about you when you're gone, but I'd be okay with that. Ah, there's a lot of darkness, but now there's, it's a little bit brighter. So living my life in a way uh, that pleases Jesus as king and his kingdom would be to say I'm going to learn how to fight the battles with my king. And then secondly, uh, and this might sound strange, but uh, if I'm going to live in such a way that Jesus as king is honored, I'm going to live very publicly. Uh, and what I mean by that uh, is, clearly there's an aspect of I'm not ashamed. like the Apostle Paul said it very clearly in Romans one, i'm not ashamed of, of this good news about Jesus. I'm not ashamed. So I'm not afraid to tell you, I'm not afraid to tell neighbor I'm not afraid. I'm not talking about being offensive and a rude individual. I'm talking about just being in a winsome manner, letting people know, I'm not confused as to who is king of my life, and it's not me, it's Jesus. So we live very publicly, but what I also mean by living publicly um, is this idea of I die to personal living. And what I mean by personal living is if Jesus is really king of your life, there is nothing personal about your life. If Jesus is King and we understand King to mean He rules and He reigns, He is absolute authority over everything, that means there is nothing personal about your life because your life is all about Jesus. I think our, our culture has taught us to think and, and act and live in such a way, well, that's my personal life. That's, that's, don't talk about that. Don't touch that. That's, that's like my personal stuff. You can have everything else, But my personal stuff and whatever stuff you might be thinking about, it's untouchable. And I just wanted you to know if you would live with Jesus as your king in a way that would be honoring and pleasing to him. There's no personal stuff. Why? Because he's king over all of you, not just some of you. He's king over everything, not just some things in your life. So the way I was thinking about it is this. Uh, my work and my work ethic, that's just, that's my personal. Well, oh, no, it's not. If Jesus is king, how you, what you do and how you do it, it matters to him. There's nothing personal about your work or your work ethic if Jesus is king. Your friends and relationships, well, that's, that's my personal stuff. Well, no, it's not. If Jesus is king, the way you treat people, love people, serve people, the way you think about people, that's not personal to you because Jesus is king he's king of your life. And so every relationship matters to him. Your marriage and how you treat your spouse, that's not personal. It's personal, meaning I have a relationship with Kyla. You guys don't get to do that. But it's not personal, meaning it's just me and Kyla. What Jesus wants me to do in my home, that's what I do. Why? Because he's king. He's king of my life. He's king of my home. And so if I'm doing something that's offensive to him as king and treating her in a way that's not pleasing and honoring, well, he's king. I can't just say, well, that's my personal relationship. I would say uh, your pleasures, your downtime, your time, your talents, your treasures, the thing that we often say, well, that's just my personal stuff. That's my personal time. What I want to do with that time, is just, up. no, it's not. If Jesus is king, he's king. He's king over everything. Well, Michael, that sounds like a really exhausting way to live. Well, no, it's not if he's king and he fills you with peace and passion and purpose and joy and all of those things. It's not exhausting. It's exciting. So I know it might be a strange way to think about it, but if Jesus is your king, there's nothing personal about you. It's all public. Put it this way. There's not an area in your life that Jesus can't touch that Jesus can't speak into. And so I would just ask it maybe this way. Is there an area in your life that's been off limits to him? Jesus, you can have this, you can have this, and you can have this, but I am so not ready to give you what's behind me. Well, if there's something behind you, then is Jesus king or is he not king? Because if he's king, it's all in front. So is there anything anything behind? Is there anything that you're just saying, Jesus, I've given you like 98%. Can I just keep 2% to myself? Well, no. If he's king, he's king. He's not partial king. He's not kind of king. He's king over everything. And why I started with the question of, you can trust him? I just wanted you to know you can trust him with hundred. Whatever the 2 is, whatever the 10 is, whatever the behind you is, you can trust Him. Because like the talking beaver told Lucy, He's good. He's king, but He's good. Christmas reminds me that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promised King. And Jesus is a king like no other king you or I have ever seen or ever even heard of. He's good. He's righteous, he's faithful, and he's worthy for you and I to say, I trust him. Not with some of me, some of the time, but with all of me all of the time. A hundred percent, nothing behind me. Everything's public, it's out there. Him as king, I can trust.